Welcome to Authentic Living with Roxanne, a place where we have conscious conversations about things that really matter in our lives. And now, here's your host, Roxanne Durhaj. everyone. It's uh, Roxanne. Thanks for tuning in again. Today, I have a colleague, uh, Andy Laporta, and Andy is all the way in London. And uh, what's the weather like today in London? It's, it's blue skies. Uh, it's wow. Cold. It's cold. Um, you know, it's about six degrees in, in our currency. Um, <laughs> but, so, so not icy yet, but uh, there was ice on my car the other day. But it's, it's actually, it's been up and down, but it's been nice today. But we'll take your weather over what we get. Uh, where okay. I am in Niagara Falls, we get as sometimes we can get down as far as uh, minus twenty. So uh, you're you're icy. We, we, we would grind to a halt. We grind <laughs> to a halt and get to minus one. Yeah, <laughs> and we would say, "Oh wow, look at them!" Right. Yeah. So uh, I've invited Andy on today because uh, Andy has uh, been a keynote speaker. Now we're going upwards of how long, Andy, that you've been? Speaking? Well, I joined the Professional Speaking Association in 2003. Okay. So you know, around 20 years, probably about 18 to 20 years in total. So Andy's uh, kind of uh, forte is he's, uh, his tagline is building, nurturing and leveraging professional relationships. And we're going to talk a little bit about he initially started off his career focusing a lot on networking, but now he's pivoting into more about vulnerable uh, leadership, which as everyone that listens to my podcast knows that I talk about authenticity and authentic uh, leadership. So Andy, kind of tell Tell me kind of, I know you went to school with Michael, um, and uh, so Michael is a dear, dear friend, and that's how I met Andy uh, via Michael, and um, so you went to business school, did you do economics, what did you do in school? No, well, actually, um, Mike and I, we, we went to different schools, but we met in the pub, which at the end of the day, <laughs> that was where you did most of your learning. <laughs> um, after, so that was in my, what we call in the UK, sixth form years. So the last <laughs> couple of years of, of, I guess, what you'd call high school. Um, and then, um, yeah, Mike, Michael went off to LSE, London School of Economics. I went to the University of Birmingham and studied politics. Oh, so wow. I was, I was originally going to, um, to study accountancy. Uh, and then I did two summers working as an office junior in an accountancy firm. And I looked around and I, I thought, well, I'm bored because I'm the office junior. And I looked at what the partners were doing. I went, this isn't for me. They were doing the same thing. And, wow. You know, you know, well, well what, I, the, what the pivot? Like, I mean, compared to what you do now. Yes, yes. And I have a lot of accountancy firms as clients. So, you know, I would be very careful not to criticize the profession. Just to say, <laughs> that's not me. Um, but... Um, yeah, I, I, I just, back then, you could go to university, study anything, and get any job, pretty much, unless it was a vocational degree needed. Um, by the time I left, you couldn't get any job, whatever degree you had. <laughs> um, but I just decided to go and study <laughs> what I was interested in um, uh, and just enjoy it. And, and to be honest, I wasn't the right type of candidate for a university. You know, I, I wasn't an academic. I, it, it, it had its benefits to me, but I, I was a good argument for not everyone needs to go to university. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about um, vulnerability. Cause I, I know that's 
You know, when you kind of go out and, and in business, all of us, we're constantly talking to people. We're, we're having to go into new situations. You're, uh, I know when I'm out and about, sometimes, you know, not very often, but sometimes you walk into an environment and you're like, I could, you know, you're like, you're in a room full of people, but you might be kind of put back for a second mm -hmm. where I have to start to think, okay, you know, how am I going to connect? So I know you're an expert in this area. So let's talk a little bit about that discomfort that most people have with kind of the concept of going out and networking for business. Yeah. I, I think this is, there's a number of different ways I could approach that. And I think actually I'm going to change what I was going to say, as you were saying that and just pick on the last thing you said and going out and networking for business, because I think that's part of the problem. Yes. Networking is a key tool in growing a business and developing a business. And you know, with a lot of networking events early in the morning or early evening uh, and really encroaching into your own personal time, you have to have a commercial reason to do it. Um, but that once you understand that reason, once you're strategic about what you're, you're seeking and the type of uh, professional relationships you're seeking and, and the right networks to go to, once you're there, it's really important to put that full business to the back of your mind not out of your mind entirely, but to the back of your mind. Go and network for relationships. Go and find people you like, you have a rapport with, you've had something in common with. It helps if they are also in a position to support and help you, but you don't always know um, at the very sort of the, the top layer of what we find out in, those envir in that environment. And if you consider, you talk about that discomfort, Think about that discomfort if you get into a conversation and the opening question is that classic networking, networking opening, what do you do? You, you end up in a very uncomfortable, stilted, cardboard conversation unless you truly are interested in what each other does, um, which isn't that often, to be honest, unless it's an industry-specific event. Um, compare that to someone coming up and saying, oh, what brings you here? How do you know the host? What did you think of the speaker? Uh, something you share in common and just chatting. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think there are a lot of ways I could answer your question, but I was just picking up on that for business at the end. And I think that's, it's important that we are strategic in our mindset uh, in terms of the way we approach networking events and conferences and so forth. But once we're there, that's that strategy needs to be in the back of our minds ready to remind us why we're there force us into the right conversations uh, and recognize opportunities but at the same time we need to drop that and be just ourselves you talk about authenticity you know you're not authentic if you're putting on an act to try and win business you're authentic if you are yourself and you encourage so, to be themselves so I, so I like what you said about being strategic like obviously your time is valuable yeah. And when you're growing your business, you're, you obviously you can't be everywhere and you can't be everything to everyone. So just kind of figuring out what areas you want to focus on. And then, like you said, just going out and being yourself, just having conversations. And you may, and I've gone to events and I've spoken to one person, you know, and, and then I thought, oh, did I do this wrong? There's a part of me that says that. And then I realized, well, no, I've, I've kept those relationships. Um, I've had things that have come of it since. But I think initially when you're getting into business, it's kind of like, am I, you know, quote, unquote, am I doing it right? I, I think my, whenever someone says to me something like that, I, I only spoke to one person all night. I would say, was that intentionally? Uh, was it appropriate or was it an excuse? If it's an excuse, 
because you're comfortable once you're in that conversation and you don't want to get uncomfortable again, you need to be aware of that and you need to take action. If it's intentional, I go to that networking event because I want to meet that one right person. If I click, I'm happy to spend time with them. I would normally say three or four conversations, depending on the length of the event, let's assume two hours rather than just one. Because uh, I think there will be a level of it's an excuse in there as well if it's just one person. Um, but if it's intentional or it's accidental but leading the right way, you can justify that commercially. And, and, and the fact that you're staying in touch is key. You're better off talking to one person and building a long-term professional relationship where you support each other than talking to 10 and never following up. Right, right. And following up is key also. Yeah. So what are some of the steps that you suggest? Let's say you go out you do a couple of these you know uh per quarter or whatever like is it a note is it a uh you know another phone call just to say i really enjoyed the time how how is it that you suggest and i'm sure every every contact is going to be different what what yeah. what kind of approaches do you suggest you, you create what i call touch points and there are different ways uh of finding touch points uh the first step I, I talk about the seven stages of professional relationships um, and I, the image I draw is of a series of concentric circles like the side section of an onion. Um, so the outer circle uh, are the people you, you, you just mm -hmm. recognize. So it, you know, it starts with people you recognize, then people you know, uh, then like, then trust and so forth. Um, and when you meet someone at an event, they'll come into the recognize. But if you don't follow up with them, if you don't engage with them within a few weeks, they're out of the network completely again. So your first job is to build a wall mm -hmm. on that outer circle. So once they're in, they don't go back out. Um, mm -hmm. And the way you do that is by, uh, is a three stage follow-up process um, known as 24, 7, 30. You follow up within 24 hours. Now, some people say, doesn't that make you look a bit desperate to which I reply, it's not dating. Uh, you know, it's about, <laughs> Striking while the eye is off, being seen as reliable um, and really engaging people and continuing that conversation. And to me, that's a short email. Not, uh, it was great to meet you last night. Here's my last seven annual reports, my last 30 corporate brochures uh, and, and, and so forth. It's just great to meet you last night. Repeat something that you said so people know it's personalized and not just around Robin to everyone they met. Um, and maybe a call to action that you've agreed in the conversation or you're suggesting in that email. The seven is after seven days. Um, and what I will normally do is I will make a note to connect with them on LinkedIn a week later rather than in the moment, which most people do. Um, now, obviously, if they connect with me on LinkedIn, I have to find a separate second touch point. But if, it's, if, if I'm in control, I hold it back. And I personalize the LinkedIn connection request. And again, I put a call to action in there. And most people don't actually read that note. So if they just accept, I then send them a message on LinkedIn saying thank you. And a call to action can just be a question. You're looking for a response. Mm -hmm. You have a two-way interaction. And then 30 days. So 30 days in an ideal world, by then you're meeting for a coffee, you're catching up in person because that's when you take the relationship really through uh, the levels, you know, you accelerate through the levels more quickly. Um, so my first step is to build a wall and 24, 30 does that. Then you want to take people through those levels. And that's for a series of touch points. So, you know, the, the sort of things I've talked about are part of it, but things like using social media. So like, uh, comment and share what they post. Um, and if you like LinkedIn, but they're on Twitter, it doesn't matter what you like, they're on Twitter. So find out where they play and go and play there. 
um, but engage with them proactively mm. on LinkedIn, not stalking, you know, not sort of liking everything they post, irrespective of whether it's relevant <laughs> um, or liking a video within 30 seconds of them posting it, even with a four minute video, um, make it meaningful and comments and shares, shares with reasons why you're sharing it are even more impactful. That way you stay insight in mind. You're also, you're also supporting them, which they will, they will appreciate. Invite them to events. Um, there was, when I first started going to events, uh, London Chamber of Commerce, there was a guy there called Mark. And what he used to do, you'd meet him at a networking event and then he'd invite you to another. And the dynamic of the relationship shifted so quickly because when you met him at an event, he was just one person in the crowd. When he invited you to another one, even though you only chatted with briefly and he followed up, he was, the, he was your anchor at that event because he might be the only person you know, you know there. Mm. So that makes a huge difference. Um, I saw this and thought of you sending an article or a blog based on the conversation you had. Oh, I saw this, I thought of you. Um, giving them a referral, making mm. a connection for them is huge. Um, so all of these things are touch points. Obviously, the biggest touch point is helping them make a connection for them, introduce them, give them a referral. But, you know, some people find that easier for, than others, particularly at an early stage of a relationship. But there's all these different touch points that you can hit that, that get you through that process from the outer circle towards the inner circle. So I would assume um, that you're using a CRM to, to, to achieve this goal um, to, so that because if you go out and you're doing this, say, a certain amount of events after a while, to be able to kind of uh, keep track of this, you would probably need those alerts to be able to. And for those listening and don't know, I mean, client management system, relationship uh, system, where, you know, you get the alerts as you kind of come to your desk, there may be certain things that would come up that say I have to call or touch uh, base with four or five people today, those types of things. That makes so, that makes so much sense, uh, Andy, when you say it that way, because, you know, and I've been guilty of this, you know, you go, you, you, you know, you, you chit chat a little bit and then you don't move it along and then you see the person again and then it becomes kind of awkward because you think, oh, where did I leave that? Yeah. You know, and then, and then it kind of feels like now it's contrived. And now I have to try to kind of talk to them again. So I like the points, like you said, like the, the 24, 7, and 30. 30. Yeah. That's, that's a nice flow. Well, can, I just add, can I just add something in there? And that is that when you get your network to a certain level, don't prioritize events. Because unless those events mean you see the people that you already have a connection with, it more efficiently and effectively because you might see half a dozen people at the same event and that's your focus. If you're constantly topping up your network, but you're not nurturing the relationships you have within the network, you're expending a lot of energy for very little return. So build the network, but then nurture the network. Uh, I, I mentored someone once and I said, how much networking are you doing? And he said, I do four breakfast meetings a week, two lunches and sometimes a, a dinner. Wow. How's it working for you? And he said, oh, it's great. I said, if it's that great, what, this was a mentoring session. I said, why did you want to pay me by post-dated check? I'll tell you how long ago it was. Um, and and it, the fact is he wasn't, he wasn't getting anything back from these, these events. He was flitting around one-to-one -one and it was activity, but he wasn't building relationships. And I said, look, if you're happy getting up four times a week that early and going out for breakfast meetings, have them with one, two or three people. Uh, you know, deepen the relationships you've got rather than just going out and meeting more and not, you know, keeping them all at that very peripheral outer circle level. 
and really it's about building um just nurturing that relationship in a, in a, in a really conscious way uh, by the sounds of it right like mm-hmm. if i met you like i've you know, with my contacts and I'll run into them again. And then before you know it, I'm trying to connect with them again, but they get busy. And sometimes it could be a year later. I just had this happen with someone and then it was a great opportunity. Then I was invited to something, um, a mental health round table after trying to kind of connect. And then of course, you know, it's right up in my wheelhouse and, you know, but again, it's, it's kind of, if the person doesn't respond to you, it doesn't mean that they're not wanting to. Oftentimes everybody's so busy too. And what I've started doing, literally in the last week and a half, because I'm being forced to, I'm on a business accelerator and they're pushing me into, you know, taking more action than, than I did what I should have been doing, is I'm just picking up the phone to three people every day. Just picking up the phone. How are you? Yes. And, and, yes. and even if you don't get hold of them, you've got a touch point. You leave a voicemail. They see your missed call. You have a touch point. And, and that keeps you insight in mind. Now, of course, they pick up the phone and they phone you back. That adds time to your day. And, and someone asked me about this on LinkedIn this week because I posted a video uh, about, about this topic and, uh, and, and the time it takes to, to, to build relationships effectively. And I said, she said, how do you handle the seven hours of return calls that you get? And I said, well, if I'm phoning the right people, then it's time invested. It's the right time. You know, and, and I'll have to manage it. But if I'm speaking to spending seven hours talk, a week talking to the right people in my network, then that's good, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Then you're speaking to the right people. Yeah. Absolutely. I think that that makes so much sense, right? Because with this, with the networking that I've been doing, same kind of idea, just trying to be a lot more strategic. Why am I doing what I'm doing? Where do I want to speak or train? And obviously trying to attend those events because those are the people that are in that kind of wheelhouse. So let's, let's talk about now you and I, I think was it last year we chatted and uh, you would you were writing a book and I, I know we chatted a little bit about it before we got online, but I'd love about, about the book and kind of where things are at and kind of the, the content of the book. Yeah, so so the book was was due to be published this year. Um, unfortunately, my publisher and I haven't really seen eye to eye with it. So um, we're we're looking, I think, possibly to uh, an alternative an alternative publisher, and it will come out next year. Um, but the the topic of the book is just ask, and the the uh, focus of the book is, I believe that we have a culture of showing strength of showing we know things, of proving that we are, we are able, um, that holds us back. It holds businesses back because it makes people re- recreate mistakes because they're not sharing. Um, uh, and it holds individuals back. And, you know, you hear so much these days about mental health issues. Um, and a lot of that is because we don't open up, we don't share. So I wanted to explore that. So the book is a series of stories uh, from people from around the world um, and some of it very business focused, some of it more personal, but with lessons for businesses, um, looking at vulnerability, at transparency, honesty, um, and, and just trying to say, well, what went wrong because you weren't able to be open? What went right because you could? Um, we have stories from a professional footballer who tried to commit suicide while playing, just after playing in the Premier League, still playing top level football. Um, we have a former backing singer to Tom Petty and Leonard Cohen, who suffered from anxiety attacks, fainted on stage when, when on stage with Leonard Cohen. Um, and she shared with me 
um, how both Tom Petty and Leonard Cohen shared their own vulnerability with her um, and the difference that made. Um, we have a former New York gang member and, and, and what she went through. You know, it's a real mix of stories from all around the world. But the common theme is mm. we need to be more open. We need to share. We, we need to be more vulnerable. You know, and we talked uh, before we started the recording about this word authenticity. Uh, and And part of my final chapter is sharing how I almost did a count up of the number of times the word authenticity or authentic came up in the interviews I held because it was constant. Everyone was, was saying it. Uh, it, it. It is a buzzword these days. Um, and, you know, people get a bit defensive, you know, about cliches and, oh, well, that's a cliche. Sometimes things are a cliche or a buzzword for a reason because they're important, because we need to talk about them. And I think authenticity uh, is in that space right now. And, you know, when we look at, uh, I talk a lot about authentic leadership and, mm. When you see those authentic leaders, uh, you know, they, it's not comfortable for them. They're, they're, they're stretching themselves oftentimes because they've practiced it. And I can think in my career or just going into different environments where I would have to report to some senior VPs, the ones that were able to kind of show you what was happening, not just within the company, but within their lives, oftentimes those are the ones that you really get to know. Like you're like, oh, I could just pick up that phone and I can talk to Andy because he, sh he shared X, Y, or Z or that difficulty or whatever. And it then uh, in my professional relationship with them, it became more a bit of a professional friendship so that there was not that, that barrier to go and ask for something. And some of the other contacts that were sometimes the most difficult were the ones that were struggling in their personal lives. Yeah, I, I think that's a, that's a fair observation. And one of the people that I interviewed for the book, and funnily enough, it was one of my three calls today, um, is the CEO of a big Japanese, he's the UK CEO of a big Japanese manufacturing uh, organisation. Uh, and he's one of the best leaders I know, a guy called Phil Jones. Um, one of the best leaders of people that I know. And so I, I it was really interesting with Phil because I knew from the beginning that I wanted to interview him for the book. Um, but when, when I interviewed him, he immediately referred me to one of his uh, workers, one of his employees who worked on the factory floor um, to share his story, um, which I think was a mark of the guy. And, and it, it didn't mean he didn't want to do the interview. We still did the interview. This was in the interview. But he said, you need to talk to Ronnie about his experience. And so I interviewed Ronnie as well and share that story. Um, but it was just that, that openness. But to, to your point, one of the things that, that came out for me is the journey Phil went through because he didn't start out like that. He wasn't, you know, the open, transparent, supportive person he is now. He was target driven and mm -hmm. probably quite hard on people. But he went through his own journey and his own coaching um, and realised that wasn't him and it wasn't who he wanted to be. Uh, and once it became more authentically him, he's happier and he's been a lot more successful. What I've seen with uh, leaders that are trying to um, enhance their authenticity is just starting to be aware. And that's uh, oftentimes, you know, people at such senior levels, they're tactical driven, they're, they're high achieving people, and they're oftentimes going to ignore a lot of things that should be addressed. So it takes the, the really the, the conscious person to say, you know, I recognize I'm good. I get a lot of tactical things done, but I recognize that, you know, um, there's people around me that are dropping off or we can't keep people on our, our senior team.
means. So I think sometimes the concept of I want to be more aware is a nice concept, but it sometimes takes, um, you know, looking at what's, what's not going well, because maybe the bottom line is still quite healthy, but the relationships in the organizations aren't, aren't as healthy. Something that's really interesting. Um, I think one of the reasons why leaders might be inclined to ignore what's, you know, what's under the surface is time pressure. And most of the senior leaders that I know are under huge pressures of time. Um, I'm in the process of putting together a retreat for senior leaders in my network, people I know I have a trusted relationship with, for them to learn from each other, to share with each other. And the people I'm phoning, I know are time poor takes them a week week and a half to come back to me and i know why i know it's not personal i know mm. It, it, it's time so when i was discussing this retreat with with the coach i'm working with i said i don't you know he was talking about you know financial incentives to book earlier and things like that i said money isn't going to be an issue here right i don't think the concept's going to be an issue time is going to be the issue um and everyone I've spoken to so far, and the first conversation I had was with a former client of mine who is incredibly under pressure, just post-merger or, or takeover of the business she runs. Incredible pressure. Her only answer was, yes, if the date fits, I'm there. And that's pretty much been all of them. No one has actually offered time as an objection, uh, even though I know that they are incredibly time poor. So I think that the temptation in day-to-day -day work to, to leave stuff that's not pressing is it, it can be very strong. But if you have the right, if it's presented to you, the opportunity is presented to you in the right way to step away from the business and look at those issues or look at your own career or look at whatever the challenges may be, the retreat will be focused on their challenges. People will find the time and they'll do it, but it, Going back to your question, it's a conscious strategy. What I'm enabling them to do is step away from the business, step away from the day-to-day, -day, um, and actually look after themselves for a little bit. And I think they do see the value of that. It's just creating that conscious ability to do it. I'm not a senior leader of a large organisation, um, but even as someone who's written a book on the importance of vulnerability and asking for help, I have to remind myself to do it. Because the, the, the other side of it is the natural inclination is to still present that strong image. Um, and I have to consciously remind myself to do it. So I think that for most people, it is still a conscious thing um, and, it will, and it will remain so. Even if you build the habit, you'll have to retain it through conscious activity. And, you know, I was recently reading an article that says that, you know, sometimes the level of, um, of achievement of senior executives, it, it could be a line to they're they're so pinpointed in what their objectives are that it's it, it they likened it to almost like a bit of an addiction right so they can take one thing and they can achieve it so when you're introducing something like vulnerability or authenticity it's a new concept that they may value but it's like where where am i going to fit this in even though i know it's going to be valuable right which is and, and that's that time management again it's juggling priorities um and and you you have to create <clears throat> you have to create the space for people to take this on board and make it as natural as possible so that even if they have to uh, apply it consciously they can do so 
in in and among their day-to-day work so i mean i'm trying to meditate on a daily basis and i'm not succeeding <laughs> <laughs> i did today i try, I, I, try to, I try to do it every morning before i get out of bed i try I, and i have this headset next to my yeah. next to my bed and then i just try even if it's for 10 minutes because it's yeah. really really so valuable but it's you're right it has to be one of those conscious things and before you know it you're running behind and all those things right yeah, and, and, and I think that even finding 10 minutes a day, I've struggled. I haven't been able to do it. Um, and, and you need a way of just triggering these points, whether it's an alarm on your phone, um, whether it's built in the day, whatever it might be. And it's the same going back to the follow-up. It's the same with follow-up. 10 minutes a day in your diary. Go onto LinkedIn, look at the news feed and see whose who's, uh, updates you can share. You know, things like that make a difference. Uh, and this was the video I talked about on LinkedIn was all about we, we, we lack time, we're time poor. But these little steps don't necessarily have to take a lot of time, but we've got to be conscious about it and we've got to schedule it in. And we need, and we need that. We need those pockets of time. But the only way that it's going to happen is if we build it in, even if it's like I often when I speak to leaders, I'll, talk, I'll th- tell them about putting a little alert on their phones to, to yeah. take a little bit of a break to, to come become connected one of those century elements. Like one thing that I do is I say, okay, so, you know, why don't you put three pictures of the three most important people in your world? And then hook that to maybe one or two songs that are really kind of gets you reconnected with yourself. And they go, oh my goodness, that's a great strategy. What is it? How long is the song? Two minutes? The yeah. pictures flow with it. It's on your desktop of your phone. And then it really kind of brings you back to really what's important. Why am I doing what I'm doing? But again, that takes that conscious effort to be able to apply it through your day. Now, so tell us a little bit about uh, when the book will be out. And maybe you can come back on when the book is out and we can chat a little bit more about the book. I can't answer that question at the moment, but I'll be happy to come back on when it's out. Um, we're, you know, it's literally in the last few days. Um, it, it, I think we've got to a point with the publisher where we're not on the same page. What they want as a book is not what I want to produce. Um, and so we, we need to look at our options, uh, you know, whether we stay. It's, it's a very well-known global publisher and whether we want to find another similar one and wait another year for the book to come out or want to accelerate the process. And um, that I don't know yet. Well, when you, whenever it, it comes about, it sounds like it's a fascinating book. I think it would be something that would be so helpful because I think when we, you know, speak to vulnerability from an open space, some of us can relate, right? We can relate. We've all been there. We've, you know, done things not so well. We've maybe not spent time with family. I know I've gone through that when my son was younger and I was traveling and, you know, I had those moments where I'd come home and he'd just have laid down and gone to bed. And I felt like I'd missed that time. You know, we all can relate to it as we're out there pursuing our goals. But at the end of the day, trying to take a little bit of time just to be able to put back what's important into a day becomes very, very key. And then it become a cumulative effect, like you said, with your senior leaders. If they can take that weekend or whatever you're doing um that's a big investment but the gain that they would get from you know doing some of the things that you're suggesting would probably bring them a massive return go ahead for anybody wanting to is there any last words of wisdom that you want to leave with people listening or um any if people wanting to uh have you connect to speak to come to north america i know you're here often uh companies are listening where they get a hold of you um well in terms of final words um 
I, I think that, you know, you, you, you talked about, you know, you talk about authenticity and authentic leadership. Um, for me, authenticity is the key. Um, and with the focus on professional relationships, don't always, um, don't always focus on what someone can do for you in the short term. Be strategic in where you build your relationships and where you need to plug gaps in your network. Um, but at the same time, be open to relationships where you've got a strong rapport and where you've got things in common. And, you know, there will be people in your, in your network who will never support you and you'll never support them, but you'll just enjoy each other's company. There'll be people in your network where you'll help them and they won't ever have the opportunity to help you or understand how. And there will be people... Where, you, where it will go the other way around. Right. Um, and it's just making sure that there's, it's not, everything's not a quid pro quo. You don't measure every relationship. You understand you build a strong network and the network as a whole provides the boost for you, for your career or for your business. Uh, and uh, my favourite quote on the topic comes from um, a, a poet and author called Elizabeth Asquith Bibesco. She was the daughter of the former British Prime Minister, Lord Asquith. Uh, and she said, blessed are they who give without remembering and receive without forgetting. Give without remembering, receive without forgetting. And if you can build a network where you all embrace that philosophy, then everyone in that network has the opportunity to grow. So those will be my final thoughts. Um, how to contact me? Well, once you know how to spell my surname, then I <laughs> become very easy to find because it's not a very common name. Um, so, so the website is andylapata.com and Lapata is spelled L-O-P-A-T-A. And I'm sure with my accent, everyone's going to get that wrong, <laughs> but, it, but I'm sure it'll be in the show notes as well. Um, I'm on Twitter. I'm on LinkedIn. Um, uh, there's a Facebook business page. So it's facebook.com slash networking strategy. Um, similar on LinkedIn. Uh, I would suggest if you want to connect with me on LinkedIn, please personalize it uh, and let me know how you found me. Um, because I, I get a lot of requests from people I have no idea who they are, and I, I do like to know. <laughs> uh, and then we can have a conversation. Well, Andy, thanks so much for taking your time and getting on uh, very early before you get into your day. Um, so what I'm taking away is just take the time. Be strategic, but don't have an outcome in mind. If you can help someone, go ahead and help them and don't expect anything in return. And likewise, you might get the same from people. And just be vulnerable. Uh, you know, if you're a leader, just recognize that that's a, that's a gift that you're not just giving yourself, but you're giving everyone around you. And, you know, that relatability goes through the roof when people learn something other than just what they think you are professionally. So Andy, thanks again. And, uh, you know, when I come to London, I'll have to make sure and check you out. Absolutely. I'd be a pleasure to meet in person. Thanks. for Okay. Okay. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to Authentic Living with Roxanne, creating the space for positive, healthy change. Roxanne is a keynote speaker, psychotherapist, and coach. To work with Roxanne, visit roxanderhajcom slash blueprint. We'll see you next time on Authentic Living with Roxanne.